All right, good evening, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 40 and 41, we'll try to cover two tonight. I'm getting a little ambitious, but they go together. And so, uh, so you can follow along, grab your, grab your Bibles if you don't have them already and get them open and we'll pray and uh, get started. Lord, we thank you for tonight and our last, hopefully, uh, online only uh, worship experience here. And we pray that uh, as Sunday comes closer, uh, to prepare our hearts to be with each other again for those that can come, and that uh, it just be a glorious um, reunion, Lord. So we thank you for this time that we've had and uh, how important it was and how growing it was for all of us. But we're looking forward to this uh, coming to pass. <laughs> so I pray that you speak to us by your word tonight as we study Joseph, learn a little bit more about him, your plan with his life, your hand upon his life, and his trust in you, no matter what the circumstances. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Like I said, this will be our last online only. It doesn't mean that's not going to be our last online. We're going to continue this ministry. Um, it's a permanent part of our fellowship now. Um, we've made a lot of improvements to it, as you can tell from the very first transmission to this one. Um, hopefully, we've made it easier and better for you watching um, as well as made it more convenient for those who will be coming back here in person beginning this Sunday. We will have both services, 9 and 11, uh, with Sunday School for Kids at 11. Um, uh, we will be live streaming um, uh, the service at 9, and so we haven't, we haven't discussed whether we're going to do both or not. Um, I mean, we have, but we haven't decided yet, so for now it's just going to be the 9, 9 a.m. service. But of course, that'll be available to watch all day long. If you miss it, the beginning of it, you can always catch up and, and, and just watch it. So, But for comment purposes, we decided to do one service for now so that you guys can all see each other and talk to each other in the comment section below. And so that's kind of what we're thinking. It's an evolving ministry, so uh, stand by for more changes. Anyway, tonight in Genesis chapter 40, we see uh, Joseph is now in prison. Uh, not just a servant, not just sold into slavery, but imprisoned in Potiphar's jail, it seems, it, the scriptures seem to indicate. Um, but we see him, although not happy where he is, um, he serves. No matter where Joseph is, he serves God. Um, he understands that. His immediate boss, uh, his physical boss, his human boss may not be worthy of service, but his God is worthy of service. And so he works like he's working for the Lord no matter where he is, even if it's in an unjust situation. And so what a learning lesson for all of us. As we have, as we watch Joseph's life, we have very little to complain about for the most part. So verse one says, it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord and the king, to, uh, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. It was a temporary thing. The, we don't know what happened um, both of them have to deal with uh, the Pharaoh's food, his cupbearer and his baker. We don't know if he didn't like the meal, if maybe there was an assassination attempt because those two guys were responsible to make sure that uh, the Pharaoh didn't get poisoned. And so, so who knows? Maybe he got a bad stomach ache afterwards and decided to 
Put them both on notice. Don't let this happen again. So anyway, they're in prison for a while, but they're in the prison where Joseph is found. And if we read carefully, and that's important, he's in the captain guard, captain of the guard's prison. It must be different prisons. And so he's in that prison. And the captain of the guard we know is Potiphar. Now, we learned that from earlier on uh, in Genesis uh, 29 or uh, 39. Captain of the guard was uh, was Potiphar, and so he's in his jail. So we don't know if Potiphar just moved him, you know. I'd like you to be in charge of my household, but my wife seems to have a problem with you, and so I'm moving you into my jail position. Uh, you'll be a prisoner, uh, but you're going to take care of those things. Or he wanted to keep a close eye on him. He wanted to make sure his life was rough. Uh, you're still going to bless me. You're still going to serve me, but it's going to be in a terrible situation, uh, and, and we don't know. By what we read in these two chapters, though, Joseph indicates he's not happy where he is. He doesn't feel appreciated. He knows that it's unjust uh, and that it's a horrible place to be. So um, I'm leaning more towards that second interpretation, um, that this is just something that uh, Potiphar isn't happy, puts him in this jail, his own jail, to keep a close eye on him because of what he did to his wife or thought he did to his wife. Um, And so that's where we find, find ourselves here. Anyway, It doesn't matter all those things. It doesn't matter the thoughts and feelings of Potiphar. And this is hard for me and all of us, I believe, at times. It doesn't matter what people are feeling about us, what they think about us, uh, what their uh, impression of us is. It only matters what God's doing with us. And am I submitted to him? And as Joseph finds himself submitted to his father, he gets put into a pit sold into slavery. As he finds himself submitted to their hand, he finds himself sold into Potiphar's house and immediately rises to the top of Potiphar's house and serves God there. And as soon as something happens there, an injustice, he gets thrown into prison, but he finds himself leading, even in the prison, until he finds himself right where God wants him, and God had wanted him in all of these positions all the way along, finds himself in the position to be put into the number two position in Egypt, So here's the setup. How do I get him noticed by Pharaoh? How do I get Pharaoh, this guy who doesn't worship me, God may say, to notice and put Joseph in charge to protect the future nation of Israel? So there's the setup. So these two guys get put in prison because he had a stomachache or something happened to him. Verse 5. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man, uh, man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of the Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, we each have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to the Lord. Tell them to me, please. Um, Interesting, interesting. Joseph is even in the position of being a prisoner, but also wanting to still serve God, even in the gifts of the Spirit. Now, he is in a culture where there's many, many gods, many, many gods. They may have a God that might resemble the true and living God, but they don't worship him alone. He's just one of the many, basically. Um, And Joseph worships him alone and knows that he's the only one. And so that's why he says there isn't God singular, not don't the gods know what's happening? No, it's singular. Doesn't God know your dreams? Can he interpret them? So tell them to me. Now, ahead of the interpretation, Joseph makes sure everybody understands that it isn't him doing it. 
Um, God knows if you tell me, I'm going to let you know what God says. He always stays out of it, but he doesn't apologize for the gift. Um, there, people have a lot of gifts uh, that are given to them by the Lord, and to use them in the service of the Lord, we don't need to apologize for them. We acknowledge it. I mean, that's why we do what we do when we do. The last song that we were singing there, I mean, it took me a while. The internet kind of glitched on us tonight, and, and we're trying to make sure everything's working like it's supposed to. So I myself need to get alone, sit in the, uh, the, the nursery area, and watch it on the TV like you guys are, and begin to worship God and sing. And as I'm listening to Aaron sing, I'm thinking, what a blessing. And I know a lot of you commented also, what a blessing to have a man who loves the Lord, takes the time to do all that he's doing right now. He's behind the sound booth, running this, doing tons of stuff, but took the time today to pray, pick out songs, practice those songs, get up here, prayed up, and begin to worship the Lord and lead us all into the presence of the Lord through worship, through song, through singing. And I'm just so blessed by that. All of a sudden, Aaron disappears, as wonderful as he is, as a worship leader should disappear. And I find myself in the presence of the Lord, just worshiping and praising him and him alone. You know, that's a gift. That's a talent. Aaron never takes credit for it, understands that it's God through him, the Holy Spirit through him, and yet not afraid to step up and do it, you know, and to give God credit and glory for it, but doesn't need to apologize, you know, for it. Um, and doesn't take credit for it at the same time. Just a wonderful rarity. It's rare to find someone that won't take credit. Joseph is rare. We've got rare guys working for us here, serving God alongside of us here in this ministry. Rare. That give God all the glory, but work hard and strive for excellence and are filled with the Holy Spirit, which we're going to find out here makes all the difference. Filled with the Holy Spirit, using the gifts and talents God has given them. In Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 29, it's Paul and Silas. It's their story. They've been sent off on the missionary trip. Barnabas has gone off with, uh, with, his, with, his, uh, with his cousin there. Uh, they've had a, a squabble, Paul and Barnabas have. Paul, Paul has gone off with Silas to do his ministry to find themselves uh, interrupting the commerce of a certain city and, and get put in jail. It's very rare for a Joseph or a Paul or any of us to find themselves willing to worship, willing to be put wherever God wants us to be put and minister there. Not worrying about our our own cause, not worrying about our own plight, but worried about am I serving God right where I am? Whether that's at home, whether that's in prison, whatever, I'm gonna serve God to my utmost right here. No matter what limitations have been put on me, no matter what anybody said or thought about me, I'm gonna serve God as much as I can, where I am. And we see Paul doing that here in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 29. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he, the keeper of the prison, called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Later on, this jail keeper receives the Lord, his whole household gets saved all because Paul and Silas were willing to be put into the innermost parts of the prison unjustly 
but singing songs, ministering to the prisoners who would never hear the gospel unless they were put there. And this jailkeeper never receiving the gospel or hearing the gospel unless Paul and Silas were put there. God is strategic. I don't know that we need to plan out the strategies, for sure. I mean, we want to think it through. There's things that we do to prepare ourselves for this worship time right here. We do our part. But God's the one that does things, that moves things, that strategically gives us divine appointments, we call them. Moments where I wasn't planning on this, but here I find myself in this situation and I get a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or I understand something more because I was in the right place at the right time. Not because I put myself there, but because I let God put me there. Does that make sense? And so we find ourselves with Joseph here being moved from circumstance to circumstance, ministering all the way along, serving as God. And as he's faithful to serve God, no matter where he is, no matter what limitations are put on him, he finds himself in the number two position. It's amazing. So verse nine, the chief butler gives him his dream. He says this, behold, in my dream, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded. Its blossoms shot forth, its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now, within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will, be, you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner, but when you were his, uh, former manner, when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. That's where we get our idea that it isn't all roses there. Sometimes we can teach this in such a way that, well, Potiphar really liked Joseph, and so Potiphar gave him this cushy job not according to Joseph's own narrative or his own quote here. I want to get out of this house, still in Potiphar's house, but in jail. I want to get out of this dungeon. I don't belong here. What's happened to me is unjust. He's as upset as everybody else would be. I don't belong here. But that doesn't prevent him from serving God. It's, it's okay to feel the injustice. That, that's, the, that's the Lord in you. I see a lot of things stirred up with this pandemic thing. Uh, and I think it's a good thing. And I, I'm very careful about what I say to a lot of different people. But um, <laughs> we've all learned a lot in this. This has been used, although intended for evil, in magnificent ways in our lives, if we'll accept it. I've seen a lot of voices rise up. I've seen a lot of people come to that line in the sand that they weren't sure where it was, but now they know where it is that they will, not, they will not be pushed back any further. It's, it's a wonderful thing to see for our country. I know this, and I said this before about myself, I think I'd have had a tea party long before the Boston Tea Party, you know? And so I see a lot of people's voices and the injustice and, the, and this isn't right, and I see a lot of people's voices rising up, but don't let that prevent you, the injustice or however you feel about it, from serving God wholeheartedly we may not have wanted to shut down. We may not have wanted people to have to leave the premises of this building or of this land that God has given us to worship him in spirit and truth. But it didn't prevent us from serving. We found a way. 
We, we did what we could do with what we had. We made sure the gospel is still going out. The word of God is still being taught. That fellowship can still happen. We're still doing whatever we can do in the circumstance. So important we do that as individuals in our walk. That no other unbeliever sees us defeated, failed, fallen, sitting there, moping, you know. Mm, I didn't get to do, you know. It's not like I like it. It's not, I'm not doing nothing, you know. It's like a toddler. If I can't be where I want to be, then I'm not doing nothing. What a, well, it's pouting. Christians don't get to pout. And so we see him here giving this, but he also reminds him, hey, Butler, I gave you this. You're going to get back up there. You're going to, you're going to be back putting, this is temporary for you. Don't forget me, you know? I don't belong here. So when I ask you to ask Pharaoh for a pardon or to get me out of here or to mention my name to him, I'm not asking for a guilty man to go free. I'm asking for justice to be done. I'm asking for an innocent man to go free. So don't forget me that I have, first of all, a a direct line to God because I just interpreted your dream. But also, I don't belong here. And so make sure you remember. Now, he's not going to remember him. But he, he throws that in there. There's your dream. You're good to go. Now, verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream. Now, this guy's really optimistic and excited. I, you got to read it that way. Hey, because it says that right in the scriptures. He saw that it was good. So, hey, interpret my dream. Quick, quick, quick. I also was in my dream, and uh, there were three white baskets on my head, and uh, in the uppermost basket, there were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. What's that mean, Joseph? Well, Joseph says, this is the interpretation of it. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't soften the blow. He doesn't say, well, you know, on the bright side, you've got three more days. Here's what he says. This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Now, as rough as that was, it's the truth. Joseph doesn't say, I think everything might work out for you. I think it's okay. Um, I'm, I'm often wrong when it comes to interpreting dreams, so take this with a grain of salt. Or I don't, He doesn't qualify it at all. He looks him straight in the eye and says, in three days, your head's going to be lifted off from your body. You're going to be hung in a tree, and the birds are going to eat your flesh. That kind of truth hurts, but it's truth. Someone who serves the Lord, someone who has a call upon their life, doesn't have time for that, nor are they allowed to. I'm not called to interpret God's interpretation. I'm called to proclaim God's interpretation. I'm called to tell you what God says. That's what people are called to do. I'm not called to make it easy on you. Sometimes we think that's our responsibility, to make it easy on people, to help them. No, the good news is extremely good news because our uh, prognosis is grim as sinners. As a sinner who doesn't have grace yet, I have a very serious sentence of hell hanging over my head and it will come to pass and it's sure. As surely as God exists, my sentence to hell is sure because of my sin. But there's good news. And that dark 
prognosis of my eternity makes that good news so much brighter. He sent his only son to die on the cross for my sins, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That grace is truly magnificent. That mercy is beautiful. And so he tells him the truth. You're not going to live in three days. And notice he doesn't say, uh, remember me. <laughs> no need to mention that. Verse 20. Now it came to pass, as it always does. God's word comes to pass. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, but he uh, placed the, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. It happened just like it was supposed to. It's going to happen just like God says. As, uh, as I was reading about the, the pestilence and the plagues, you know, that are, that are happening to us right now, and then I, and then I saw the murder hornets that are, that are already on our shores and coming our way. I, I, I joke, I know I'm a, all Calvary chapels are pre-tribulation. We, we believe the rapture happens beforehand and, and that the tribulations for, is the final seven weeks for, or final seven, seven weeks for the nation of Israel. But, but that being said, it was hard not to joke around and say, um, well, wow, there's the fifth trumpet. You know, as you see, <laughs> they have death in their sting and, and, and all. And, um, and, and like Aaron said, well, then if that's the, if that's the case, if this, if this is the fifth trumpet, then John greatly oversold it because they're nothing like what we thought they were going to be. And of course, we're all joking around because th these aren't those coming out of the abyss. There's no cloud. It's, they don't have women's hair and all the strange things that describes these locusts that are supposed to come. But it's, it's interesting how... We look at the things around us and, and, and the things that are happening right now are just tiny little tastes of what's going to happen. You know, Mazingo's water was polluted and you can't, you can't help but, although that wasn't it, remind me of the fresh waters being touched in the great tribulation period. And then, and then, you, see, uh, then you see this happen. You see plagues and pestilence coming. You're like, wow, there's, there's that horse. And then, you, and then you see the hornets and you're like, wow, that's kind of like, you can see how it doesn't take much. We just need more percentages for it to really come to pass, you know, to keep our eyes on the Lord, on the sky, looking for our rapture, looking for the return of the Lord, for us to be taken up with him and for the great tribulation to begin. It's, it's all there. Um, there it is. It's, it's, we're moving closer and closer. Now I'm off on a tangent. Let me get back to the scripture here. But um, the, the important part of the text, even though I went on that rabbit trail there, is the chief butler forgot him. Verse 41, or chapter 41, verse 1 says this, then it came to pass, again, at the end of two full years. You kind of need that to understand how important it was that this butler remembered Joseph because it was two years later. It takes two years. Now, knowing that God's hand is upon Joseph and is moving him closer and closer to a position to where he can protect his family through a famine... It had to be two more years. It wasn't time for Joseph to be exalted, to be lifted up, to be put into that position yet. 
It needed to be right now at this time, two years later. Joseph wanted out two years early, but God said, no, I need you to wait two more years. And so the butler didn't remember. The butler's going to remember when the butler remembers. When God sees it's time, it's going to be time. God unfolds things in his time, not in my time. I mean, how many times have we read in the Bible where these people are praying for babies and the babies don't come for 20 years? Or when, when I need this to happen and it takes such a long time for it to come to pass, I get worried when my prayer doesn't get answered within two or three days and then I take matters into my own hands. We've really got to get past that. That really has to be more of a trust given to God that the answer's no or the answer's not yet. And that needs to be okay with us. I'm tired of this. I don't know how much longer I can put up with this. That's not a concern of a servant of God. A servant of God puts up with whatever God throws into their path for as long as he wants them to put up with it. We don't put time limits on our master. We don't put time limits on our king. Joseph said, please remember me. But in the meantime, for two years, as the butler forgot him, he still serves the Lord wholeheartedly in that prison, in that dungeon. None of us have it that bad. But he does. What a great example for us. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. Then the ugly, gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke, no doubt. Imagine what that would look like. What a, what a nightmare. He awoke. Now, he slept. He fell back asleep. And this is important because he gets another dream just like it. So he got this horrible dream and shook it off and went back to sleep. He slept and dreamt a second dream, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. And behold, seven thin heads blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. There have been times in the past where God has given interpretations to Anybody, just to make sure his message got across. But there's more going on here. God moves on different fronts. It's a chess game. He's moving this piece here and this piece here. So I'm not giving anybody the interpretation except for my man, Joseph, because I need Joseph to get out of there now. Now's the time, and I want him to come up here, and it's time for Israel to move into the nation of Egypt and be taken care of by them and to multiply greatly so that they can become the nation that they need to become so that when they go into the promised land, they can conquer that promised land. And they can occupy it and hold it. I can't do much with, the, with 70. I need millions to go in there and occupy this great land. So I need a, a holding place for them. So here we go. He gets this and he wakes up and his spirit is troubled. And it should be. Maybe it wasn't shooken up enough the first time. Maybe it took a second time for him to get truly troubled to the point where first thing in the morning he calls for all those seers to come explain it to him. And none of them could. And that's okay. Daniel had the same problem. Uh, and we'll read that in a little bit here. But 
Um, oftentimes, God puts us in a position where nobody has the answer, but we do. As Christians, if we're going to be servants of God, he'll give us the answer. And it's time for us to speak up. As there's confusion and, and nobody knows what's going on or what to do or how to go about it, it's important that the Christians stand up and say, look, let me speak to God. Let me pray to the Lord. Let me find out what he wants to do, and then let's do that. And I'll tell you what he says, you know. And so the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh saying, I remember my faults this day. You know, oops, it's been two years. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night and he and I, each, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, there was a young Hebrew man with us there a servant of the captain of the guard, Potiphar. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. Each man he interpreted according to his dream, and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us. So what happened? He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Remember that, Pharaoh? <laughs> Pharaoh's like, yeah, I remember that. So Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved and changed his clothes and came to Pharaoh. Now, that, that's a cultural thing. If you look at all the, the Egyptian pictures and writing or, or, you, or, you, or you, watch a, um, you watch the Ten Commandments, you'll see uh, Yul Brenner there all shaved down with not a hair on him. And that's the Egyptian way, you know. Uh, all the guys, uh, I don't know how it started. You know, maybe there was a phobia at one point, a germ. You know, maybe he's a germaphobe. Of course, they didn't know what germs were, but they loved skin. You know, so they had shaved down and that was beautiful to them. That was their thing, you know. So this Hebrew guy comes in and you remember how they described Esau and all Joe Jacob was a smooth skinned man. These, you know, the Israelis were pretty, pretty hairy folk, um, <laughs> you know, a little rough around the edges. You don't shave the corners of your beard. I mean, they, they, they were shepherds. I mean, they looked like it, you know. Um, and so here comes this Hebrew out from the prison, the dungeon. Got to shave this kid you know, before he shows up before Pharaoh. So it's, it's a cultural thing. They got to get him smooth. So he's, I mean, he is, he's, he's shiny at this point, okay? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said that you can, uh, that you can understand a dream and interpret it. Is that true? And so Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, this is my opportunity, um, Yes, I am the only one who can interpret your dream. He doesn't say that. And, and, I, and I, was, I try to be funny that way because he could have used this as a great opportunity to conceal where his information came from, to exalt himself, to make sure that he stayed on top and never went back down in that prison again. It would be really tough at this point to not try to manipulate the situation to where I don't ever go back there again, but he doesn't. He serves God faithfully and trusts God to either put him down or to raise him up, to bring him low and humble him or to exalt him. You think of Paul who says, I've learned to be abased and I've learned to abound. I've learned to lack and I've learned to be uh, content with an abundance. It didn't matter the circumstances. I was fine either way. And so Joseph, when he answers him, says this, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. I don't have the ability, but God will. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, 
I stood on the bank of a river, and suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly, gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. <laughs> it's a, it freaked him out. This is, these are the ugliest cows I've ever seen in my life. Scared me to death, he says. And the gaunt, ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as, as the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. And behold, seven heads were withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind. They sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the, magi magi the magicians, uh, but there was no one who could explain it to me. He seems like a reasonable guy, you know, a reasonable uh, pharaoh. He's like, yeah. If you remember Nebuchadnezzar, which we're going to read here in a minute, Nebuchadnezzar with Daniel was different. He says, I'm not telling anybody what my dream is. You interpret it. If you guys really know what the future is, aren't you telling me what the future is and tell me what the dream was? I'm not telling you. I don't want you guessing. I don't want you making stuff up. He was rough. And then when they couldn't do it, he was going to kill them all because they couldn't do it. This guy's a little more reasonable because I'll tell you my dream. None of these guys could figure it out for me. And the funny thing is, none of these guys seem to be threatened by Joseph. You know, it's not here anyway. In scripture, you don't see anything. This is an interesting administration, this, these Egyptians here, at this time. Things are going to change, though, for these guys. But I, I want to set this up because as we understand, this is what's happening. The, the nation of Israel, Jacob's family, is going to move here pretty soon because of this famine that's being spoken of here. And they're going to be okay there. They're going to be taken care of there. They're going to be respected as their own people group there. They're going to live in the land of Goshen, and they're going to take care of things. It only happens after this pharaoh dies, or several of them, that they forget the blessing that's supposed to be on these people. So there's our setup here. This administration seems to be reasonable to some extent. So he says, I, nobody can tell me what it means. And the, magi magician, the magicians over there are like, I don't know either. Can you tell us, Joseph? Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. Same interpretation. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind. They're seven years also. Seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout the land of Egypt, but after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will be depleted in the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because this thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. This is going to happen, Pharaoh. You need to, and this is the beautiful thing about the, I want to pause here, but the beautiful thing is not only does he bring him the problem or the bad news, he also gives him a solution. That's how Joseph moves out of the prison. He's going to use the wisdom that God has given him. I believe this is an interpretation from God for your dreams, and here's the solution for it. Joseph has that ability. His dad recognized it, gave him the coat of many collars. He was the foreman because the kid was smart. 
He was good. He had the gift of administration. He had the gift, the ability to figure things out and to come up with a plan. He could do that. It was, it was God's gift, and he gives God credit for that. He's going to do that here. But before we do that, I want to read to you that Daniel scripture. Daniel found himself in the same position, served God no matter where he was, finds himself in Babylon, okay? Um, And here's what happens. Daniel chapter 2, verses 27 through 28. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head upon your bed were these. And he goes ahead and describes him. God put Daniel in such a place in Nebuchadnezzar's realm, in the Babylonian captivity and being there and, and all. Very important we believe because Daniel was in the right place at the right time, was willing to be put in a tough situation, you realize that he is going to infect or affect the entire nation of Babylon to where when Jesus is born, we see three wise men coming out of the east very well could have been from this right here. Daniel sharing all that he knew about the Messiah, all that he knew about end times, all that he knew about the nation of Israel and how a king and a Messiah would rise up so that later on when Jesus is born, three wise men come. It's very possible. We don't think that big. We're worried about a stimulus check. We're worried about how I'm going to buy food or am I going down the right aisle at high V or not? You know, that's our every day. And of course, we need to worry about those things. But Don't forget that God moves us and puts us and holds us back or moves us forward because he's got a much bigger thing going on here. You realize he is setting up right now the great tribulation. He's setting up end times. He's setting up things. He's moving everybody, nations, boundaries, borders, wars, rumors of wars. He's moving everything around to get into that position to where it can all go down. That finally his son, at the end of the great tribulation period, will set up his rule and reign for a thousand-year reign of Christ. He's moving that. What part do we play in that today? Does anybody feel like things are supernatural right now? So obviously supernatural? So obvious that this isn't what normally happens in the political realm. This is way beyond what normally takes place. There's always been bickering and fighting, but we've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen a nation shut down like this before. There's been quarantines in the past, and and there's been isolations in the past, but nothing like this before. We've never experienced stuff like that. Does anybody get the the feeling that something supernatural is happening? Now, I'm not saying the Antichrist is going to show up tomorrow. He might. We won't see him. The rapture will happen tonight and he'll show up tomorrow and that's fine. But since I don't know those things, what am I doing today? As a child of God, as a servant of God, am I doing, am I about my father's business? Will he find me when he comes to take me home to him doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Ministering to whom I'm supposed to be ministering, letting words come out of my mouth to whom I'm supposed to be sharing with. We're we're experiencing something through this right here, this trial and tribulation, and I've shared this before, through this pandemic, the gospel has never been heard by more people at one time. 
Churches all over the world are now going live over the internet and people are watching that never would have watched before. And you might be one of those people. You might have tuned in to this at one point or another and would have never darkened the door of an actual church, but you're watching this now. You're listening to God's word now. Please understand, be warned. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please understand you need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Things are going to go down. I don't know when. I'm not one of those guys. I'm not, you know, 88 reasons for Jesus to come back in 88. I'm not that kind of guy. I don't know when he's coming back. I know that he is coming back. And I know that only the Father knows the time. Only the Father has that kind of information. So he's my boss. He's your boss as a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, he's our boss. And we're here to tell you, you need Jesus soon if not tonight, <laughs> now, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior because there's going to come a time when your time's up. I passed by um, Price Funeral Home uh, today and I saw the ambulance outside Price Funeral Home, which is a little odd. <laughs> Lots of funny thoughts went through my mind. Gee, you know, did they bag somebody that shouldn't have been bagged yet, you know, kind of thing. No, they were dropping somebody off, I think. And if it's someone you know, please forgive me. I don't mean to use them as a prop, but we don't know when we're going to die. You may be thinking, well, the rapture's pretty far away. Yeah, but your car accident may not be. You don't know how much longer you have. But today you've tuned in. Tonight you've tuned in. Last Sunday they tuned in. Whatever. Somebody tuned in at one time. This is it. And this is happening all over the world. They're hearing the gospel. You're hearing the gospel. People are responding. There's going to be fruit. God's word never returns void. And so if we're scattering seed right now, even if only 25% of it bears fruit and has roots, it's good. 25% of all the people watching this, 25% of all the people watching all of the live streams all over the world, there's a harvest coming. There's a harvest of all this seed coming. Be encouraged. God's going to use this for good, is using it for good. I don't need to worry about who planned this. I don't need to worry about what big pharma's doing, big oil's doing, big whatever Wall Street's doing. I know what big God's doing, and I'm on his team, and I'm a part of it. Am I serving him? Am I preaching the gospel? Am I sharing with those who need to? Please, focus, Christian on what your goal is, what your call. You may want to get out of this, like Joseph wanted to get out of this, but then that's fine. It is an injustice. It is, it is. Focus. Serve God like you've never served him before. Wholeheartedly serve him, as Joseph does here. That's our example. So, he says this. This is what's going to happen. Here's how it's all going to go down. It's going to happen quickly. You need to pay attention, Pharaoh. Now, I'm not done talking, he says. Therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him up over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let him gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities that... Uh, then that the food uh, shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, and the land may not perish during the famine. Brings a great solution. 
Here's your spiritual problem that God's forewarned us about. We're gonna have a famine in seven years from now. So what do we do? Prepare. Start grabbing a fifth of it. You don't need to grab it all. Just grab a fifth of it. And as you grab a fifth from each year, we're gonna be able to spread that out. It's gonna cover it. It's gonna be great. I mean, it's not gonna be great, but we're gonna survive it, basically. And they're gonna, be, they're gonna do more than survive. Watch what Egypt does here. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants, And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Please underline that. Circle that in your Bible if you're following along. That's the difference. There's a lot of smart guys out there. There's a lot of guys that have a good business head or business sense. There's a lot of guys that, but when you put the spirit of God upon a person like that, who uses it, it's completely different. There's a lot of talented musicians out there. There's a lot of people that can strum a guitar. There's a lot of people with a really good voice. We all watch TikTok, probably. You've seen them all try and do their best. But when you have the Spirit of God upon somebody and they use the talents given by God under the Spirit of of, of God and begin to minister, it's a whole new world. That's what's happening here with Joseph. And, And this Egyptian, this worldly guy, sees it. Hey, can anybody argue and notice none of the, the magicians, none of the hierarchy, none of the guys that were hoping to be put in number two. The number two guy isn't even mouthing off right now saying, hold on a minute. Who is this Hebrew guy? You're going to give our nation to him? Everybody's like, no, I can't think of anybody smarter. And he certainly has the spirit of God upon him. And they submit to it. They all submit to this. The spirit of God makes all the difference in the world, in someone's life, in the Christian's life. We've got to be filled with the Spirit. You can't rest on your talents. You can't rest on your gifts, your abilities. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. Let Him use those gifts to bring Him glory and always give Him credit like Joseph does. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Now that's quite a change from the dungeon. I mean, not even to like freedom, but to being in charge of Egypt. And every once in a while, you got to tell Pharaoh what's going on. Hey, here's what's going on. Hey, great, Joseph, I'll be in the hot tub over here. Let me know if you need me for anything, you know, quite a deal. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand. And remember, that's the ring that you would, uh, uh, but we talked about that on Sunday with, uh, um, um, uh, oh, one of the boys, I forgot his name. Anyway, when you, you know, make your wax seal and you press your ring into it kind of thing and to let everybody know this is official, this is for me, that's the signet ring. So he gives that to Joseph. So Joseph can pretty much, he's got his signature. He can, he can sign anything. He can do anything he wants to in Egypt. Gives him the signet ring off his hand. Put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paneah. And we don't really know what that means. We think it means someone who hears from God, basically. The one who hears from God. And he gave him as a wife, uh, Asenath, I think, the daughter of uh, Potiphera, priest of On. 
Um, so not the greatest wife in the sense that she's grown up in a household where they worshiped on, but oh well. Uh, so Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Um, and now he's in charge. What a, what a change. What a day for him, you know? Everything's changed. Here's a scripture, Exodus 31, verses 1 through 3. Speaking of the Spirit of God, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name um, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, in all manner of workmanship. And that was going to be the guy in charge of building the tabernacle. He's the guy in charge. The guy who has the Spirit of God upon him makes all the difference in the world. There's a lot of artisans out there. There's a lot of people that could. There's a lot of people that are qualified. A lot of people have degrees and all that. But who has the Spirit of God on them? That's God's man on the scene. That's God's woman on the scene. The one who's filled with the Spirit. Joseph's that guy. Joseph has information that nobody else has. Joseph has an ear of the Lord or has the ear towards the Lord and can hear the Lord speak. And so can we as Christians. As we think of Peter, Peter who always spoke, but always got his foot stuck in his mouth, but when filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two, all of a sudden 3,000 people get saved. I use that a lot because that's our example for us to follow. Jesus says, you need to wait for the helper to come. And when he comes upon you, then you can go spread the gospel. Guys, as Christians, we should be filled with the Spirit spreading the gospel. We should be the ones in that situation. As the world looks on, confused, and doesn't know what to do, Christians, filled with the Spirit. You're God's man on the scene. I'm God's man on the scene. You're God's woman on the scene. Be used. Be usable. Don't fall into their fleshy traps. Don't fall into their arguments. Don't fall into what they're worried about, what they're scared of, what their fear is. We're above all that. We're Christians. We're citizens of heaven. We know how it all plays out, and it's playing out right in front of us. And we have the answers, and we're calm because we know who's in charge, and we know who we serve, right? Joseph was 33 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, laid up food in the cities, and he laid up every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came, whom Esenath, uh, um, I don't know how to pronounce her name, the daughter of uh, Potiphera, priest of On, bore to him. So these are his sons. One he called Manasseh, he was the firstborn, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second is called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be faithful in the land of my affliction. When you can begin to see the fruit of the affliction, when you can see the fruit of all the toil in your past, how these things have brought into your life flowers, you know, beautiful fruit from God. What you thought were evil and horrible things to avoid, God has used and brought into your life and made amazing things come from it. Joseph's at that place now. I've forgotten all that toil being sold by my brothers. I've forgotten all my hardship here. Look at me now. I've got a beautiful wife. 
I've got some beautiful boys here. Things are good, you know. Then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. He sold. That's not what you thought was going to happen, is it? Hey, guys, come on back. Aren't you glad I saved that bread? You were kind of complaining about that 20% tax I was putting on all your grain, but here it is. Have it. No, he sold it back to them. Smart guy. He's there to serve Pharaoh. He's not there to serve everybody else. He's there to serve Pharaoh. I'm, I'm in charge of this. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in, in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. Joseph is going to bless this ungodly nation. Joseph is going to serve this people to where the time he's done, he says, Pharaoh, I think we've sold a lot of grain and, and you pretty much own everybody and everything. Mission accomplished. Right or wrong or what you think about that, Joseph understood his mission. It's to serve my employer. It's to serve the one God put me under. If God didn't want him in charge, God will put me in charge, but he hasn't. He's put me under this guy. So what am I going to do? I'm going to make sure this guy is taken care of. I'm going to run his business. I'm not going to say he's running it bad. I'm going to run his business to make sure he gets taken care of. And he did. Hopefully that speaks to our hearts. I don't need to get out of my position. I don't need to change my situation. I can wish for it. I can hope for it. I can pray for it. But if God doesn't see fit to change it, I'm going to serve God wholeheartedly. I'm going to serve the people that he puts me under. I can complain about it. I'm going to just do it because I'm serving God. He is my employer. I hope that helps. I hope that's a blessing. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for Joseph's heart. What a great example for us. None of us are in his position. None of us are even close to it. So Lord, we've learned. We've learned to stop complaining. We've learned to focus on you. We've learned to understand what injustice is and not be happy about it, but we've also learned to serve you as your servants no matter where we are. And so God, I pray that you'd, that you'd bless our hands that you give us the wisdom that we need to do the things that are in front of us, that we would be spirit-filled people walking in the spirit, being a blessing, that people would recognize that and that you would get all the credit for it, all the glory for it, Lord, and that nobody that tries to come against us would succeed in keeping us from what you have for us. We see a lot of people coming into Joseph's life trying to stop him, and yet everything they did to him that seemed harmful moved him forward. So God, we're thankful for that. We trust you implicitly, Lord. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.